Good morning, everyone. It's uh, really a joy to be able to share God's Word amongst friends, amongst family, um, and even some of those that I don't know. But um, I want to, as I was saying to the children, I want to talk about the word salvation. I was, uh, during my ordinary life, working in the college in Arbroath, <clears throat> I'm forced to listen to Radio 2 all day. The lady who sits across from me puts it on her computer. She sticks the speakers on top of the, the sort of cabinet, which is about this high, and all of us have the joy of listening to Radio 2. Uh, I have tried to work out ways in my mind to block it out um, so that I can go on with some work. Um, but most of it is drivel, and I don't really enjoy it all that much. But the other day, uh, as the radio was switched on, the very first song that came on, some of the, those of you who are my age and maybe a little bit younger, will remember the Jackson 5. Um, and they sang a song, uh, a line in which it says, you and I must make a pact. We must bring salvation back. And it just struck me so hard that one of the crises of our own uh, era is that salvation, the word salvation has disappeared, uh, not necessarily from the church, but certainly from the community. And it's something that needs to return again to the vocabulary of the people. Of course, the Jacksons, uh, they were singing a kind of a love song, no doubt, a bit of a fantasy uh, from a family who lived in fantasy world most of their lives, um, in particular Michael Jackson, whose life was terminated not so long ago. Um, and people are singing words that they don't fully understand. They don't get it. And uh, here was a young man singing that song whose life turned out to be broken and wretched and ruined until he died young. Although very, very talented uh, in some ways, he lost everything. And who knows what his situation will be. And so there is a place for, for uh, us to consider this whole business of bringing salvation back. But of course, it's not necessarily our work, it's not necessarily our job to bring salvation back. As we read in the book of Revelation just a few moments ago, the salvation belongs to our God and the one who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. That's where, who salvation belongs to. It's his prerogative, of course, to bring and to release salvation to us. And so perhaps there is a place for us to sit back and do nothing if it's God's prerogative. Well, maybe we can see that. But there is a psalm in uh, Psalm 110, verse 3, it says that your people will be willing or ready, prepared in the day of your power. And I think that these two things balance together, that God, of course, has the right to withhold, but he also has the right to present and give and bring. But we 
have the responsibility to be ready. I have many deep concerns about the condition and the state of our nation. I'm not about to give you a state of the nation address uh, or anything like it. Um, but I'm also aware of my own contribution to the downfall of the nation because certainly I have not done everything that I could have done in order to see God's purposes fulfilled in my life or in anyone else's for that matter. It's a situation in our world where in recent decades it has become important, more important than life to have a mobile phone. And in fact, some young people will take somebody else's life in order that they can have a mobile phone. Children are assaulted and often killed by adults where uh, they ought to be looked after and protected in that environment. And that's often as a result of broken relationships and, and parental relationships and so on, that children are at risk. It's a situation in our nation where a father can be kicked to death, as happened in Glasgow just a few days ago, because he challenged somebody for, a, for vandalizing the, his car. He was dragged down an alley and kicked to death by two or three people. It's a situation where the dangers of addiction and violence lurk probably on every corner of every street uh, of our town, of our cities, and where children are no longer allowed to play in the streets because of the dangers that are there. And so we can paint a, a dreadful picture of the situation. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 and 13, it says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse. And you notice it's saying that the evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse. Not everybody, the evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But then in verse 14 it says, but as for you, that's talking to the church, talking to us, as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. There's a real challenge for us here that we have been called to be different. We have been called to prepare the way. We have been called to be ready to serve. We have been called to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. I'm kind of aware that this sermon could decline into a rant about the world and so on. And sometimes that would be quite therapeutic to go there. But I hopefully I'll try and spare you from that if I can. I don't really want to go there. But um, we have a, a problem and we face it daily. And I'm referring to the general situation rather than specifics or individuals, obviously. But we disrespect and devalue the scriptures, rather than embrace and accept them for the one, uh, as being from the one who has the words of eternal life, the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So Lord, forgive us for the way in which we have treated your word. We often disrespect it and devalue it as a nation. We often philosophize about life, seeking 
things, seeking the truth uh, in the wrong places. We kind of mix our spiritualities uh, to find God, a God that suits us, instead of, of seeking God to know him and to be granted forgiveness by him and to allow him to give us wisdom for the issues that confront our lives. Again, going back to the office in which I work, um, the various desks that are around the office, there's an incredible um, field of opportunity, if you like, around me. Um, I have um, the, the boss that is my direct line manager um, is a spiritist and has a, a lady circle that she goes to on a weekly basis um, and uh, does seances and so on uh, with her friends. The um, folks that uh, generally are in the office, all of them uh, read out their stars every day and uh, believe what they have to say, which I find uh, a, a smile coming across my face. And they almost ask me, why are you smiling? I says, because it's all rubbish. Uh, how on earth could this possibly be true? And we go into the detail of it. And uh, they say, but that, you, just because you're a Christian, you believe that. Well, yes, that's perhaps part of the case. But truly, let's look at it in detail. And we'd have these discussions going on. Um, and even my boss gets involved in them at times. We have all sorts of uh, other things going on. Some of them you just don't want to know about. And I would comment on here. But people are looking. The chap who sits right next to me is, uh, does Reiki. I don't know if you know what Reiki is, but uh, it's a kind of weird thing where you shift stones about and, and sit in different places and do stuff. Oh, it's a bit odd, to say the least. Um, and I won't go into the detail of it, but uh, this, all these spiritualities. And uh, he, he has a Buddha uh, sitting up on the windowsill, uh, and he points it in my direction. He turns it down and faces Buddha towards me. And so I move the plant pot <laughs> in front of Buddha so he can't see me. I don't particularly like looking at Buddha every day. And uh, so uh, there's all these philosophies out there, all these spiritualities that are going on, and yet we have to be different. We have to be challenged by God in order to take the spiritual life that God gives us through Christ most seriously. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. I find I smile at that every time I read that scripture. That the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. So all this sort of conglomeration of wisdom that men try to throw at you, uh, the, the come on TV, radio, and all sorts of stuff, and they try to give you this stuff to say, well, that'll fix your life, that'll fix your situation. And we've got agony aunts and agony uncles and goodness knows who else, all trying to download this stuff into our lives. But the Bible says that the foolishness of God is even wiser than man's wisdom. And I find that strange but funny. The weaknesses of God is stronger than man's strength. Isn't it fantastic that we are in a place where we can receive from God himself? That we can receive the might of God, the wisdom of God, rather than having to put up with what is second best and often very, very hopeless. The world's wisdom is going to put us out on the wrong track completely. 
and we're going to end up in the wrong place. We often forget the commands of Christ, in particular the Great Commission. Instead, we become, as one missionary put it, we become fat, well-fed Christians, uh, and we don't do anything. And our hearts become cold to those that are out there who need the Word of God and who need to hear the message of the gospel. And of course, the Bible calls us to go into all the world and preach it and to share it. And it seems strange that preaching, when we've got internet connections and mobile phone text messages and goodness knows what else we can send to people, video messages, that God has called us to go out and preach it. Because a large proportion of the world, probably 50% plus of the world, don't have these technologies that we have in our Western world. We need to go and share the Word of God with people. We often involve ourselves in materialistic practices, worshipping the God of this world as we, as we do so. We take on board much of what He wants to present to us. can become like an equivalent of Baal in our lives, which if you look into the Old Testament in particular, you'll find the horrors of that kind of worship. And, uh, and we... We are called to do whatever we can to serve the living God. The Bible calls us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. If you look in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about all your might, your strength. If you look in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it talks about all your mind. It's an interesting, there's a, a study for somebody to do. Uh, why is the change? Uh, why are these words changed there? And so God has called us to serve him. God has called us to serve him with all that we have, heart, soul, and mind or might. We often look to human resources um, to bring change and redemption from the disaster that we often call life. And again, I'm talking in a general term, that very often people's lives are a total disaster. They have no uh, anchor. They have no root. They have no place of stability that they go from one thing to the other all over the place and uh, their lives are, are mixed up and messed up big time. But we, we look to human resources. But the Bible says that in Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That we have, yes, bread. We have things that we need to fulfill the needs of our, our human body. But there is something much, much more than that. That, that we're only talking about a very small part. It's the visible part, but it's only a very small part of who we are. That God wants to deal with the issues of our soul and of our spirit. And he says that man shall not live by bread alone. You can't do it. You can't achieve it. You can't fulfill everything that you need to fulfill by just bread alone. But we need to take cognizance of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And of course we have the scriptures in order that we can identify what that is to us. And as we pray and seek God, God will communicate to us what he wants us to do and how he wants us to uh, be involved in this whole process of bringing salvation back to our nation. So Psalm 146 says this, put not your trust in man in whom there is no help. Now, that's pretty clear talk. That's pretty clear talk. There is no help 
in man. It will end up with nothingness. And uh, I'm not saying that we can't encourage one another, that we can't build one another up, that we can't counsel one another. These are all good things. But as far as bringing the salvation that is necessary for our nation and for ourselves, we are not going to find it in mankind. We often submit to political correctness and, and expediency due to the fear of man. And that, to me, is a huge challenge. And again, going back to my workplace, just the, the, the horror of all of that. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't even have an opinion anymore. I'm not allowed to have an opinion about this particular situation or that. I can't say what I think or I'll lose my job, for goodness sake. <laughs> and how horrible is that? How, what kind of situation have we got ourselves into? And yet, we've painted ourselves into a corner because we can't say the truth. We can't speak the truth, even in love. Um, and we saw it in, in a number of occasions in our uh, own um, area where people have prayed for, for individuals and have been called to account for that, and maybe even sacked as a result of praying for somebody, for goodness sake. How far have we fallen? How far have we moved? We need to bring salvation back to our nation. And so this well-oiled propaganda machine that is the world system tells us that anything goes. You can do what you like and, and there are no consequences. And we know that's not true. We know we try to teach our children that's not true. But in actual fact, that's what this system is telling us. It's telling us there are no consequences. But there are consequences. The book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So there are consequences. Something is going to happen one day that we won't like if we are not fully taken by this Word of God and fully taken by Christ in the salvation that He offers. There is a judgment to come. And it's a, it's a thing we can't talk about. It's a thing we can't share with people because we are chased. Oh, don't want to listen to all that nonsense. But we're talking about the Word of God and we need to see this coming back to our nation once again. There are consequences in this life, of course. Things are consequences. If you walk out in front of a bus, you're highly likely to be killed. That's a consequence of your action. There are consequences of the things that we do now will have an effect. That we sow certain seeds, it will reap a certain harvest. So there are, there are things that happen in this life. But there are also eternal consequences. Things which happen eternally as a result of what we do now. And of course, receiving Christ is a key uh, change in our eternal destiny, which we'll discuss in a moment or two. And also we begin to look for superheroes and heroes um, because the, the, the sort of cry that's in the national heart is for somebody who can fix things, somebody who can fix the unfixable. And so we expect Superman to fly in and help us in that kind of situation. And, and we can smile about that. But in actual fact, that's what we're looking for. Inside of us, we're looking for somebody who can fix it. Whatever's gone wrong, somebody needs to fix it. That's the whole issue of sin, of course. Someone who can love the unlovable. And that's what all these stories on 
TV programs and books and whatnot. There are racks of them everywhere you go. Somebody who can love the unlovable. But of course, we know that we don't love the unlovable. Our physical frame doesn't do that. But there is one who does love the unlovable. And sometimes we feel unlovable ourselves. Sometimes we've got ourselves so mixed up and so into problems that we hate ourselves. And the, the, the um, surgeons often make a fortune on us needing our ears fixed and our nose fixed and goodness knows what else fixed. Because we don't like ourselves. And it's all to do with what we see rather than what God sees in us. And so we're looking for someone who can do that. But we know the one who can fix the unfixable. We know the one who can love the unlovable. We know the one who can teach the unteachable. Because at one time we had an unteachable spirit ourselves. But when Jesus took over in our lives, he began to teach us the ways of life and the ways of truth. The one who can give life to the dead, who can turn darkness into light and sorrow into joy. And as the Bible says, he can turn ashes into beauty. He gave me beauty for ashes. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Finished, done, complete. The work that needed to be done in order that our lives can be turned around. 1 Peter 5 says, Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. These words are words of eternal life that come to us from the Scripture. I could go on and on and on with lists of things that we need to, to learn. But the question is, Hebrews 2.3, how can we escape if we neglect so great salvation? God has made an offer to us of salvation. He's given us a free gift in Christ. How can we escape if we neglect to take on board this gift that he's given us? This benefit to our dead souls is ours through grace, the unmerited favor of God. Well, frankly, there is no escape if we don't take on the invitation that God has given to us. We've talked here at, in Hebrews 12 about the cross, and the cross is central to the whole story, the whole picture. Jesus endured the cross. The cross is central to our salvation, and the salvation that he has won on the cross for us and we are then bound, if we receive that, we are bound in to God's family if we accept Christ as Messiah, Savior, and Lord of our lives. Someone once said these words, and I quite like the way that it's been put. It says, the work of the cross is perfectly perfect and completely complete. That's good. It's perfectly perfect and completely complete, if that was necessary to say. And Jesus on the cross, he exclaimed these words, it is finished. And then the Bible says in Hebrews 1 that he sat down at God's right hand. It is finished. He had completed the work he set out to do. It's completely complete. Everything's done. There is nothing, no tails left unsewn up, nothing left 
to chance. Not bits and pieces left to be tidied up later. It's finished. It's complete. It's done. The cross is so central. It's interesting, little aside here, that it says in Hebrews 1 and chapter 10 as well that Jesus sat down at God's right hand. But uh, in Acts chapter 7, if we can quickly look at Acts chapter 7, if you have a Bible with you. Just something to, again, to think about during this week. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, or thereby. We will start off at verse 54. It's the story of the stoning of Jesus. Stephen had uh, stood up and preached to the people surrounding him, and it says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They must be pretty furious. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you gnashed your teeth, that you were that angry that you gnashed your teeth. Here they are. This is what the gospel does to people. This is what the word of God does to people. It gets them so angry that they gnash their teeth because they know that it has identified the root of their situation. And so when they heard this, they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, what was Jesus doing? He was standing. Isn't that interesting? Standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Jesus didn't sit down forever. He stood occasionally, which is interesting. He stood. And uh, I believe that Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, doesn't just sit and watch his people who are in trouble, but he stands. He stands. In 2 Timothy 4.17 it says that the Lord stood with me. He stood with me. He's alongside me. He's not standing back as someone who's disregarding us and not interested in our situation. He's with us in it all. He's standing with us through the storms of our lives. In 1 Kings, it talks about, uh, chapter 22, it talks about the host of heaven standing at the right hand of the throne. And it's almost like Jesus aligned himself with that and stood with them and stood with his people. Many will say, God's not interested. He's not doing anything in this situation. I can assure you that God is doing something in your situation. And all he needs you is to turn to him and say, Lord, please help me through this situation. He'll go through it with us. God doesn't take us out of situations. He goes through the situations with us. Those of us who have been through any kind of trouble in our lives know that it's not about getting out of it. And that's often a a very childish prayer. Get me out of this, Lord. I don't know what to do. But the prayer that we need to pray is, Lord, help me through this. Because very often, if God wants us to go through it, then we go around the mountain again and we come to face the same thing because he wants us to go through it in order that we can be learning from that procedure, that process. So God is interested in us. That was a little bit of an aside, that God sits down having finished it all and done it all, but he does look and see us when we are in a moment of trouble and stands with us through it. So salvation, we spoke to the children about what is salvation. Well, salvation is this biblical, scriptural teaching 
that a loving, holy God takes pity on sinful mankind by sending his only Son to save mankind from their sins and reconcile them once again to God and making us fit to be with God, making us fit for heaven. And so it's not about one day by and by in the sky. It's about today, that we need to work with God today, that we need to serve God today. And so that whole business of salvation starts now. It starts in our lives today and allows us to change and be prepared and ready to serve God. Why do we need salvation? We need salvation because we can't get it on our own. We need someone else to provide it, someone who is capable and ready because we can't get rid of our sin on our own. One of the little ones today said, if we're good, that's how we get it. In actual fact, it's not. But the problem is that the church, much of the church, believes that very thing, that if we just behave ourselves and we do good, that our good acts will overwhelm our bad acts and the scales will go the other way and we'll be okay. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Wrong answer. The only way that we can have our evil, the evil of our dark hearts blotted out and washed away is through what Jesus has done. He is the only one who can achieve this for us. Our own devices won't get us there. We cannot be reconciled to God if we don't receive Christ's washing of the blood that he shed for us. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I often tell people that nobody taught me how to sin. I wasn't given an instruction course by my parents on how to sin. I learned it very happily on my own. I was very capable at sinning. Thank you very much. And uh, so we have all done it. We're all there because we're born in sin, the Bible says. So where can we find this salvation? Well, Jesus has won the salvation for us by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. And uh, very often we try to avoid that uh, almost gory uh, description. If you want to be on Thought for the Day on Radio Scotland, you're not allowed to mention the blood of Jesus. Thought for the day. What fat lot of good thought for the day will be if it doesn't take into consideration the central theme of what totally will change our nation. And a little sweet thought comes along, which is useless to anyone usually. Very little of it of any help. But when we understand that we can get our salvation through Christ who made it possible on the cross then we are totally changed by that. Bible say, there's a hymn sorry, that says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's where it's at. It sounds rough. It sounds gory. And in our sort of politically correct world, these words don't fit too well. But in actual fact, that's how it happens. We need to have the blood of Jesus wash us clean from our sins, all of our guilty stains. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says this, for, you're not, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from an empty way 
of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. You need to get back to the fact that it's the central part of our salvation, that Jesus' blood is the one that will change us. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. We can't find it anywhere else. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so the Bible is full of this. It's full of description about salvation and what it means and where we go to find it. Well, what do I have to do to get it? This great salvation that God has made available to me and to you. Well, I really can't do anything because, as we've already said, my efforts are not going to get very far. What can I do? Well, I can simply come to Christ and repent. Well, what does repent mean? It means turning away from our sin. That one day we were going this direction, but now we've turned around we're going in that direction. We've turned. Not because we've got the strength to turn, but because God has given us the grace to turn and allowed us to turn around and turn away from our sins. Yes, we have an effort to put in there, but it's turning to Him that is the issue. Ask for absolute forgiveness and receive the salvation that's been won by Christ. Now, we know these things, but the cry, I think, of everybody's heart is that salvation would come back to our nation once again, that we would be able to see people who are coming to know Christ as a result of being saved through the precious blood of Jesus. What can we do to be part of this plan? Well, again, it's a call of God. It's not something that we have got the credentials for. I don't go to university to become um, someone who can change the world. I am challenged by the Spirit of God. I'm called by God's Holy Spirit. So first of all, we need to pray. That goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. We need to pray, and all of us could probably do with a little bit more of that, and me included, big time. We need to take seriously the Great Commission that Jesus has called us to, because we are called. It's not a matter of choice. It's a matter of a call to arms, if you like, a call to the Great Commission. We need to listen to God's Holy Spirit as he calls us and directs us and gives us purpose. You see, we all have a place. We all have a, a purpose to fulfill. Uh, we're not preaching fodder, much as you might think many churches are. That's not what it's about. It's not about preaching fodder, turning up on a Sunday, having a um, sort of poke and a prod by the preacher and in the hope that something might move you along a little bit. It's about knowing God's purpose for me. It's about knowing what it is. Why am I here? What am I doing in this earth? What is God's call for me? And God will give us a purpose. And it may well be that uh, you come and sit alongside me in my office and help me deal with all this stuff that's going on around me. Like, Lord, how on earth do I communicate into this? Come along and help me. It may be that there's uh, children's youth ministry that God has called you to. Don't deny it. If God has called you to the children's youth ministry, what better place to begin? Look at these little ones sitting down here this morning and their eyes wide open, their mouths open, trying to listen and hear and, and understand what's going on. 
and I'm struggling to try and communicate to them what is. So it needs someone with gift and, and, and calling to be able to give to these young people. And so come and be ready to, to work and serve the Lord and allow these young people to know what it means to be, to be saved. There's outreach. There's incredible need in our city. And I live in an area where uh, if I step outside the door, every door that I go to, I, can find, I could find, if I wanted to, I could find severe, hard drugs. And so we're not talking about every second door, I'm talking about every door that I go to. And so there's huge need, huge need in our city for those who can work with those with addictions of all sorts. There's something that's planned for the church, and you've probably heard that in the airwaves around a little bit, the Center for Public Christianity that's being planned uh, within St. Peter's when the new building gets finished, which will be very soon. Well, it may be something that you think, well, I want to be trained in order to be able to share with people uh, in a modern age in which we live. I want to be able to be trained in order that I can share with people. And so you may want to get involved in that. That's a call from God to be able to share the Word of God in a difficult uh, environment that, that, that we're faced with today. People are hungry for the truth. They're searching everywhere and getting nonsense and rubbish given to them. And they've been sold a pig in a poke uh, every time they open their, their door or open their ears, if you like, to hear. They're getting sold just rubbish. And, and they need to know the truth. People need to hear the truth, and we need to be able to be prepared to give it to them. For too long, the world has, has churned out this stuff, and the church has got involved in it as well at times. <laughs> um, in our news bulletins, we see the church get involved in something. You think, Lord, what are we doing? That we're, we're falling into the trap instead of standing firm and knowing what the Word of God says uh, and, and delivering on that. Here, I'm starting the rant now. Forgive me. I'll try and back down from the rant if I can. It may be that you're called to go on a team somewhere in the UK or abroad and learn how to, to share the gospel with people. We're called to love one another. A, an amazing gift of just helping in your environment and your community and loving one another. What the world doesn't need is a bunch of so-called do-gooders that, that, that have no energy behind it. The, the world needs God's people, a people of power, with the Holy Spirit, living in us, working and serving in the community. Let's not go down the insipid um, do-gooders route, which for me fails miserably. It's feeble. The problem we have is that we look to you know, often, often I hear bulletins on the news or whatever, and people say, well, it's the government's fault. Well, it may well be the government's fault, but the government is not called by God to fix everything. So the government are not going to be able to achieve it. The education system is not going to be able to achieve it. We've said this before, the health service can't achieve it, although they all do good works, and, and that's excellent stuff, and I don't want to decry that at all. The police and the judiciary can't do it. They can't achieve it. The church has been called to achieve it. And that's why we're here. It's to, to be inspired to achieve what God has called us to achieve. But the problem is that often the church gets led astray even. 
and we get involved in all sorts of stuff, worldliness and untruthfulness, and we become uncaring and cold. And even the postmodernist sort of environment that we're in, facing in the church is, is trying hard to, to fit in with all of that and, and getting lost. And, and the Bible says that we ought not to preach another gospel, but that we stick with the gospel that we've been given. Don't mess with it because it's the only one. Don't try another gospel. In fact, it says that we'll be eternally condemned if we do, if we try to preach some other gospel. And he doesn't, God doesn't want us to be hot or cold because he says, if you are hot or cold, too hot or too cold, I'm going to spew you out of your mouth. That, 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 sorry, he wants us to be hot or cold, but not um, somewhere in the middle lukewarm because he'll spew us out of his mouth. So if we remove those things from our truth, then we're going to fail the, the, the people of this nation. If we remove sin, which most people want to get rid of, not, but not get rid of it from their lives, but get rid of it as a notion altogether, then people will not be given access to reconciliation with God because we need to recognize that sin is there. If we consider the cross as being some form of cosmic child abuse, then we are in trouble, big trouble, because it's not cosmic child abuse, as purported by some. We remove the efficacy of the cross, as we've been sharing. But this cross is not child abuse. It's a sacrifice of a loving God for the people of this earth, you and me included. It's eternal. We can't remove the virgin birth. Makes the, the living Son of God a mere human. Not in the least divine and useless in our quest for salvation. We need to know that Jesus is God and divine, totally divine. We can't remove the resurrection from it. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. David Pawson says that's why they were sad, you see. Okay. These are the best ones I can produce on a Sunday. So we can't remove the resurrection because we lose the victory over the sting of death. If we understand the scripture as being for a bygone age and unable to comment on our lives today and to give authority of God to our behavior and so on, then we are blindly following a pagan, heathen pathway. And it's, it's going to call us into judgment as a result. We can see how many people would want to avoid all of these things because their behavior is less than open to scrutiny. And ours may be as well. But we need to, in conclusion, bring salvation back to our nation. We need to be available to God, and that's the key issue. It's not our place to bring salvation back necessarily, but we need to be there to carry that that God gives to us into our nation once again. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. We need to be willing in the day of his power. And that's the challenge for us now, that we need to be willing. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared to do what God has called us to do.
We are bearers of the good news about Jesus and his offer of salvation. Let's be ready to carry it. You know, we can be willing at one moment. You know, sometimes friends will ask us, will you come and help me move house? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Just give me a ring uh, on the morning. I'll be ready to come. And of course, when they phone us in the morning, we've already organized something else. We're going to the beach or we're going to do something else. We're going to play football. So we can't do it. And that's kind of the way that we often respond to God's call to us. Yeah, 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 I'll be there, I'll be there. And of course, we're never there uh, when the time comes. And I can feel myself cringing at that because I often see myself in that situation. Um, Oh, sorry, I've got something else on. But we need to be ready and prepared to serve God in the day of his salvation. Let's pray together as as we... accept that responsibility and set ourselves to be in that place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great goodness to us. We thank you for the mercy that you've shown us. And we thank you for the salvation that you've provided for us. But, oh, our God, we cry out to you that you would help us in the situation we find ourselves, that salvation has been undermined and eradicated almost from our nation. And yet, many, many people are so hungry and so ready to receive. So, Father, be with us as we commit ourselves to serve you, whatever that might be, uh, whatever responsibility you might give to us, whether it be amongst the children, whether it be amongst the adults, whether it be amongst those who have addiction, whether it be in some other part of the world. Lord, we cry out to you that you'd help us to take this responsibility seriously and that we would make a pact, make a pact with you that as you bring salvation back to this nation, that we will be there, that we will serve, that we will be willing, that we will be committed to you. So be with us in that whole process, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.